John and Casey are arguing about Corvettes, I think, right? Is that? <laughs> yes, that's okay. correct. I don't care about uh, Corvettes at all. Anyway, yeah, I think I think it's the big uh, thing poking through the, the hood. And I, well, no, as much as I dislike the glass unusual. thing, I like it better than the thing poking through. No, that's not unusual. I mean, that's basically like my dad's Z06 looks almost exactly like what you see on Wikipedia right here. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not that different. I forget what makes the ZR1 a ZR1 in the C7 line. Uh, Supercharger. This is worse than Destiny. Oh, no, it's not worse than Destiny. And no, the supercharger's in the Z06 as well. My dad's is mm. a supercharged 650 horsepower behemoth. Uh, once it goes mid-engine, maybe it won't be so darn ugly, but we'll see. <laughs> Brutal. Is there, if you had to choose one era of Corvette, and you can give me years, you can give me C designation, what era would you choose? And please don't cop out and say none of them. None of them. Uh, I mean, you're the, you're the, a hoity-toity electric person. I can't even ask you this anymore. Even when I was a gassy person, I still didn't like Corvettes. <laughs> Funny, I'm still a gassy person. <laughs> Joe Hurley writes with yet another mechanism for getting your beloved photo book PDFs. So, can you tell us about this, please? Oh my God, this is the topic that won't die. So it's just follow up. It's like a one sentence thing, and now you double the length of this by complaining about it. So, congratulations. <laughs> Uh, I was complaining about photos, that how it was undiscoverable that you had to option click the buy book button, uh, but that was unfair to photos. If you do the regular file menu, export, export book as PDF, there is a checkbox at the bottom of that dialog. And if you do like me and hit command D to go to desktop and hit return real fast and never look at that dialog, you might miss it. But there is a much more obvious way to get the production PDF. Just use the checkbox at the bottom of the open save dialog box when you do export. Tell me about active versus passive Thunderbolt 3 cables. I presume this was within the context of CGP Gray's fiasco trying to find Thunderbolt cables. Yeah, I was giving vague uh, advice and warnings about cable length because I didn't have any uh, any of the facts written down, but now I went and looked them up. So uh, That sounds like research. Out, yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's not much of a lookup. It turns out that the length limits are, in fact, exactly half of a meter uh, for a passive cable if you want the full 40 gigabits per second transfer speed. So that's why the eGPU comes with exactly half a meter cable. It's not arbitrary. Uh, and it's a passive cable because they're cheaper. Passive means they don't have the little chips in the in the, in the the ends of them. It's just like a bunch of wires and rubber and stuff. Uh, if you have an active cable, you can get the full speed up to two meters in length. So still, you can't really have one that's 30 or 40 feet, but you can go two meters. Um, yeah, so uh, if Gray, if he's listening, we should just tell him in a Slack. If you want to put it under your desk and you want to get and you actually think you need the full speed, uh, you need to get an active cable, which will cost some obscene amount of money that will make you cry. Um, and if you use a passive cable, you will be having the bandwidth, which may or may not make a difference depending on your application. But just be aware. All right. Uh, tell us about the graphing calculator versus grapher. This was last week. We talked about the graphing calculator that comes with your Mac that uh, apparently uh, Marco didn't know about. Did you not know about it either? I forget. I didn't know. All right, anyway, uh, and the original graphing calculator on classic macOS, and we linked to that cool story about it. So two things about this. One, uh, the story was also retold on This American Life, if you're more into podcasts, which you may be if you're listening to this. So we'll put a link in the show notes to the This American Life episode, which I hope you can get. I know they like try to monetize their back catalog. but And second, one of the authors, the 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 main author, I don't know, Wikipedia credit is the second person as well, uh, Ron Avitzer wrote in on Twitter to say, that Grapher and the current macOS is the spiritual successor to uh, to his application. He says, Grapher used to be called Curvis Pro X or 10 before being acquired by Apple. 
One of the Curve authors told me that you use graphing calculator as a feature checklist for inspiration, but no code is shared. So it is not actually graphing calculator from the classic days. It is just merely inspired by it. I would like to tease that there will be a little bit of quasi follow-up in the after show section because there is an entry in our after show section in the show notes that reads John's bees update. I know a lot of people have been very excited to hear the update on the small yellow stripey things situation. So that will be coming in the after show after the theme song provided by Jonathan Mann. Uh, So stay tuned for that and don't touch your fast forward button because that's cheating. Moving on. Good teaser. Thank you. I do what I can. The the world went aflutter. And by the world, I mean our little corner of it. Uh, A couple of days ago when Mark Gurman and Debbie Wu wrote an article entitled Apple is planning a new low cost MacBook and be still our beating hearts pro focused Mac mini. Oh, my goodness, what is going on, gentlemen? So let me give you a few poll quotes, which I think John actually pulled, but I will take credit for. Apple Inc. <laughs> will release a new low-cost laptop and a professional-focused upgrade to the Mac Mini desktop later this year, ending a drought of Mac computers that has limited sales of the company's longest-running line of devices, according to people familiar with the plans. The new laptop will look similar to the current MacBook Air, but will include thinner bezels around the screen. The display, which will remain about 13 inches, will be a higher-resolution Retina version that Apple uses on other pro- products, the, company, or the people said. Apple's also planning the first upgrade to the Mac Mini in about four years. For this year's Mac Mini, Apple's focusing primarily on these pro users, and new storage and processor options are likely to make it more expensive than the previous versions. Oh, Apple giveth and you taketh away, specifically all of our money. So, Marco, how do we feel about this? So, I think we should actually take these separately, uh, Mac Mini and, you know, new entry-level laptop. Sure. Um, I think the Mac Mini is probably the less interesting one. So let's cover that first, maybe. So we'll build up. See? Teaser. (laughs) Nicely done. After the break, we'll talk about the new MacBook Air replacement or whatever. Um, So first of all, I think just in general, these... (laughs) After I say let's take this separately, I'm going to give a general statement about both. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, I think the... um, the information here is really thin. Like there, and I don't mean the laptops. Like it's really, <laughs> this is not much information at all. Um, and so, chances are, you know, German and and sources that tend to feed German and and people like him. But let's be honest, it's mostly him. Um, they tend to often get like the the high level overview, bullet point facts correct. But anything involving more detail or the story or the reasons or apple's intentions is you usually ends up not being true or not panning out and so i would look at this very very in a very limited way to say okay you know the new laptop similar to the air you know blah blah, blah you know that's okay that's fine so with german saying the mac mini is going to be like pro focused that that i don't buy as being reliable information because that like whatever tipster he has it's probably the information he got is probably there's a new Mac mini update like and yeah, it just so happens Mac minis are used by a wide variety of people, some of whom are pros or developers or people running servers or headless things or whatever else. But like, I don't that's probably not even the majority of the market. Um, so, you know, having that having this be like, you know, a pro focused Mac mini and also likely to make it more expensive than previous versions. 
he's not good at that kind of information like that whenever he has rumors about that kind of information it's usually wrong so i would say the only information we really have to talk about is that it sounds possible that a new mac mini is coming soon and also a new small laptop is coming soon that is going to be similar in dimensions and screen as a retina macbook air that i think is all we can really talk about covering the mac mini first I'm it's it's good news. I mean, we all the Mac mini again, it's never been updated frequently, but this has been an especially long run. And also the last update made it appreciably worse. So it's it actually it's actually been since 2012 that the Mac mini actually got better. <laughs> so that's kind of embarrassing on a number of levels. I hope they do something really nice here. It would be a it would be a shock. Honestly, the Mac mini has always been used almost as punishment to Mac owners and Mac developers. <laughs> it like it, it seems like Apple hates this product and they want us to know they hate this product and they hate people who people who buy this product and they and they really don't want you to buy this product and they and they're not going to even try to hide that. That's always how it's appeared. And that's not just Tim Cook. That Steve did the same thing under his reign. Like the it, the Mac Mini has always been really like a, a, a punitive product. <laughs> and and so I don't expect that to change. Uh, whatever they do here it's probably not going to be updated again for a very long time after that. This, it's not going to suddenly join a frequent update cycle because it never has been on one. I also don't expect it to be a good, a good value at all. Now, again, this isn't necessarily new. I mean, the, the Mac Mini was originally advertised as like, you know, the $500 entry-level Mac. But even, even when it was only $500 to start, for a while it went up, and then the last one they brought it back down, you couldn't get a good one for $500. Like, you could, you could barely get a functioning one for that. But if you actually spec it up to be somewhat useful as a general computer for most people, you were closer to 1,000 uh, or at least like 800. You know, like it, you were definitely much higher than 500. And so I expect that same trend to continue. Apple is really good these days, especially at kind of ratcheting up the prices of everything over time and ratcheting up how much you actually have to spend to get what you want. That's not going to change here. So people hoping for a good value here, you're going to be disappointed. People hoping for the Mac Mini to get on a, a good update cycle and, and become like a favored product, that's never going to happen. You know, So if you want simply a newer implementation of the same kind of BS story the Mac Mini has always been, which is it's useful, but it's going to be rarely updated and it's not going to be a good value, then we're probably going to have that continued. I think people are going to project onto this a whole lot of their wishes especially like with the with the pro focused claim here they're people are going to think this is the modular mac pro <laughs> you know that's not going to happen <laughs> i got news for you it's never going to happen um but i hope they do something nice at least because it is pretty clear that we're probably whatever they do we're probably going to be stuck with it for five years after this. <laughs> so so i hope it's good <laughs> uh, and it and like you know i have a mac mini i use it as you know home server and a few other types of tasks I have the current model. It seems positively ancient to me, <laughs> but it is, it is still the current model. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I wouldn't mind having better options in the future whenever that dies or if it needs to be upgraded. And, you know, I know, I know a lot, you know, the Mac Mini is an important product in, in their lineup <laughs> in the sense that, like, mm -hmm. it does serve a lot of roles. It patches over a lot of holes, a lot of things that you just need a headless Mac to do. But I, I would caution fans don't get your hopes too far up about this because I, I wouldn't expect a major change to what the Mac Mini story has always been. It's an interesting uh, 
alignment of the original incarnation of the Mac Mini and Tim Cook's Apple before the April Mac Pro event. And that the original incarnation was like, bring your own monitor and keyboard and stuff. Buy a Mac Mini and you now you, you can use the monitor that you have, the keyboard that you have, the mouse you have. That was the whole point of it. That you could buy a Mac that literally did not come with any of that stuff. It was just a little, you know, puck thingy or whatever, right? And that model of of like buying just the computer and adding your peripherals was something that uh, Apple was on the path to do when it was stopped selling its own monitors, basically. And, you know, was still selling a Mac Pro. It's like, well, if I buy your Mac Pro, buy this trash can, what am I supposed to hook it up to? You're not selling monitors anymore. It's like, oh, bring your own monitor because this is for people who, you know, know enough about computers to either have their own stuff or have particular needs. They have some need to have some special monitor set up that they have or whatever. And everything I just described, the idea of buying a computer and then buying your own peripherals or already having them, maybe it's not a pro thing, but it's, it's part of the reason that the Mac mini was not really did never really fill. It didn't do a good job of filling the role of the entry level Mac because yeah, it was cheap, but then you have immediately these other questions. Well, what monitor do I use? What keyboard do I use? What mouse do I use? How do I hook it all up together? It's the, kind of like the uh, contrast to the, the old iMac ads. Like you just take it out of the box, plug in the power and the, the mouse and keyboard and you're done. It's all in one package as opposed to the PC with all the wires coming. Not that it's a huge hurdle for people to buy input devices and a monitor, but it's just more decisions they have to make. And the whole point of the Apple stuff is supposed to just go in there and, and get what you want. So it was never, it never really filled. I'm not going to, I don't know how to describe it, but like whatever the opposite of pro is, the Mac mini was not good at filling that other than the fact that it had a cheap price. So an actual pro focus Mac mini, whether it is a real thing or not, would make sense because it would acknowledge the fact that especially today, the only people who want to buy a computer and then buy their own peripherals and then use their own monitor are probably computer nerds. Like people are into computers at the very least, right? The entry level computers, you know, first of all, all computers now are laptops. So desktops are already out of the mainstream, right? And laptops come with everything you need already built in, right? And Apple has a bunch of them and we'll talk about them in a little bit. But it's by definition, almost every desktop computer is kind of a pro focus machine. And since the price has been crawling up on this, and since Apple loves to charge high prices, one way they could do it is sort of admit that the Mac mini is not the cheapest way to get into a Mac. Like whatever they do with the low cost laptops, let's assume there's still a laptop is a thousand dollars. There's no way you're going to get a reasonable Mac mini plus monitor plus mouse plus keyboard for a thousand dollars. You probably can't even do that today with the crappy one due to the prices like marco said you always want you don't want the base model you always want the one with a couple things added to it so why not just lean into that and make a mac mini that is more expensive than most of the laptops uh and it's like yeah this is for people who want to have a desktop mac but they want to have a separate monitor and keyboard and mouse or whatever uh and it costs thirteen hundred dollars or fifteen hundred dollars to get the one you want uh and you know at least that's a kind of a more more honest rendition uh, of the mac mini and i was saying it fits into the tim cook model of doing things because it was under his reign that they decided we don't need to sell wi-fi routers and monitors people will just bring their own stuff to it of course that has been reversed now uh because i guess consumer demand to say we'd really like to buy an apple monitor because it takes away one decision that we don't have to worry about anymore so don't sell us mac pros without having any extra monitor and and have you know partner with lg and have us deal with the the monitor that marco spent the last show complaining about that's not a satisfactory (laughs) experience that's not an apple-like experience 
even for uh, pro customers. So I can see how I can see how this this analysis of the, uh, the Germans thing of like focusing on pro users is something that could come into someone's mind because it would be much harder to write a story that says, Oh, they're going to update the Mac mini and it will be focused on, uh, you know, casual consumers. How is that even possible? There's the, the Mac mini can't be focused on casual consumers, casual consumers by laptops. Um, so I'm not sure how they're going to make sense of this line. Marco's very, uh, conservative vision of guess what? It's going to be a new Mac mini with better internals and they're not going to update it for four years. Probably like that would, that would work fine. Uh, my difficulty of believing a pro thing is what, besides everything I just listed, how do you make a Mac mini pro? Like you put a Xeon in it. Do you put a really, really fast SSD in it? You don't have room for a good GPU in there. So how do you even make it pro other than saying, we're just going to increase the price and acknowledge that only uh, computer nerds buy this computer. Well, I mean, I, I think they could, you know, similarly to how the laptops don't have Xeons uh, or ECC RAM or things like that. Um, in in the way that the current Mac Mini, when it was released, was basically the guts of the 13-inch Air or MacBook Pro, depending on which CPU you got. The new Mac Mini could also be basically the guts of the 13-inch laptop. The, the new quad-core 28-watt chips, a T2 with SSD-only options in there, that could be really nice and really fast. And the, the Mac Mini used to be quad-core back in 2012, when, you know, before they updated it to make it worse. Um, so that, that's not totally unheard of. And they wouldn't even need to go to the... Like, back then, that was a higher wattage chip. Now they could fit this 28-watt chip in there and have roughly the same cooling capacity the current one has and be totally fine. So... If they basically just make it a desktop version of the new 13-inch MacBook Pro, that's really nice. And that, I think, would be very, very welcome. Like, I I think, you know, there's going to be price complaints, of course. But besides price complaints, that would make most Mac Mini fans very happy, I think. And if it's Thunderbolt 3, you could buy an eGPU for it. And there is your way to get... I don't know. I'm going to say gaming performance out of it, but you can't put a good GPU in there, but you can have an external one that's okay as long as your cable is half a meter or less. It also serves a whole bunch of like, you know, little uh, ancillary rules because of how many ports it has. Like, you know, I, I know modern Apple is going to love taking away ports, especially on, on a small machine like this. Uh, but like the current Mac mini, like the reason I'm, I'm using mine right now in my entertainment center and I'm using it, it's constantly running an audio hijack uh, graph to process the audio that goes to my TV in various ways and combine it and boost the bass and stuff like that. And so I'm using, it has optical in and out through the line-in, line-out hybrid optical slash analog ports, which every Mac used to have, and they've been removing them on all of them. Uh, But like it has optical in and out slash analog in and out. It has four USB ports. It has HDMI. I'm using all of them. I'm using all four USB ports. I'm using the HDMI port. I'm using the optical in and the optical out. Like, it's a great it's it has so much the only ports i'm not using on there are the thunderbolt ports <laughs> but like it's it is it's so great because of all that versatility and and again like because the mac mini is used to kind of fill in a whole bunch of specialized needs and specialized gaps i really hope they don't skimp on the ports because what this computer needs more than anything is the versatility to cover as many edge cases as possible the other thing to go back to what John was saying about how is this a pro computer, I wouldn't put it past Apple to say, look, these specs match our MacBook Pros. Thus, 
it's a pro computer. Why? How could it possibly be better? Now, the reality of the situation is, you're exactly right, John, that that by any reasonable metric, something that matches a 13-inch uh, MacBook Pro, but in a desktop configuration, that is far a far, far cry from a pro desktop. But I don't think it would be difficult for, for Apple to just pitch it as pro simply because the, the specs match another thing that they say is pro. Is it really a far cry? Like, if you look at pretty much anything but CPU performance, and, and and GPU performance, the other specs of the new 13-inch MacBook Pro are really like like you know general performance CPU, like single thread performance, um, SSD performance. Those are all really competitive with even the iMac Pro. That's fair. That's fair. Like you know, if they can call the laptop Pro, which admittedly you know that's that's mostly marketing, but like but they they call the 13-inch MacBook a MacBook Pro, and no one's like, well, that's not well actually people do complain about this but like you know people who you know, most apple fans and, and customers look at that and like you know we don't complain like they shouldn't use the word pro because it doesn't have a z on like that's that's an artificial distinction no we say it because it doesn't have an sd card slot yes <laughs> and USB i take ports. your point i take your point but i mean people are absolutely complaining and moaning about how pro the macbook pros are people including the three of us but nevertheless, you do make a good point that especially in SSD performance and in CPU performance, it's actually, I, I should have chosen my words more carefully earlier. It actually is not that far away from, from a pro machine. You are correct. So another way they could go with this, and it's a rumor that we talked about a while before this pro thing came out, although you could still apply it, but again, pro could mean anything. You know, so computer nerds, computer nerds who like to have computers all over the house, kind of, it's kind of a person like Marco who would connect a Mac to his television to do God knows what he's doing because <laughs> he doesn't want to have a receiver or whatever, right? Yep. Um, something else that they like and something else that some computer nerds we know have already purchased is a really, really small computer that's about the size of the Apple TV. You've got the Intel NUC thing, or however you pronounce it, uh, various Raspberry Pis that Marco's also played with. So prior musings in the many-year drought between Mac Mini updates are like, I wonder if the next Mac Mini will basically be Apple TV-sized, uh, because it would be really, really mini. You know, they don't need the optical disk anymore. They could make it smaller if they wanted to. Uh, if Apple introduced a computer like that, could you consider that? Oh, that's obviously a pro thing, mostly because using pro here as a synonym for computer nerd, because who the heck's going to buy a puck sized computer except for somebody who is a computer nerd and likes to have computers all over their house, right? I think that would be a direction that the Mac Mini could go that would satisfy a different subset of the Mac Mini people. I think the, the, problem, the problem with like trying to aim for the smaller market is, you know, first of all, People who buy Mac Minis, for the most part, I mean, there are there are going to be a few exceptions, like people who like make hosting companies out of them. But for the most part, people who buy Mac Minis largely don't have the problem of this thing is too big, you know. So like you're making it smaller. While I'm sure Johnny would love to design that small little box that will exclude everything you actually need to run the thing because it'll make the box smaller. <laughs> besides that little obsession, I don't see why it serves Mac Mini customers to make it unnecessarily smaller now that's not to say they, they can't make it smaller just by technological advancement but if they if they, if they start making it so small that th that they for example can't use fast cpus like if they make it so small that they have to use like the mac the 12 inch macbook cpu those little five watt things that suck you know that is not really serving the market very well if they have to you know cut off a whole bunch of ports on the back and only have like two usb-c ports for the whole thing like that's not serving the market very well either what this market needs is versatility and while it would be nice to get it even super super smaller like if you look at the the back of the current one 
it's crammed full of ports. There's not that much space you could save by modernizing this thing unless you significantly reduce the cooling capacity inside and significantly reduce the, the ports in the back. And, and I don't think either of those would be serving it well. If you give it enough bulk to have a nice CPU in it, maybe like from the 13-inch line like it has now, if you, if you kind of keep that thermal class of it, which would then keep the performance class and allow it to have these new awesome quad-core chips, then you're going to have an enclosure big enough bigger than uh, the Intel NUC thing, and you're going to have an enclosure big enough that you can have a good amount of ports on it. Yeah, the really, the puck thing would serve a subset of the mini customers, but it's like, how big is that subset? It's probably pretty small, and arguably, that subset is not has never been well served by the mini. The only reason they use it is because it is literally the smallest Mac you can <laughs> yeah. buy. It's not a laptop, right? They have no choice, you know? It's also a much lower end line. Like, you know, the, the NUC and everything, those like those like super low power, super cheap PCs, those are very inexpensive with low, you know, low powered parts, low performance stuff, low specs. Apple's not really they've never gone for that with the Mac Mini, and I don't see them doing it now. You know, it's more likely that they're gonna keep it at the like seven to eight hundred to thousand dollar price points. And you you just can't sell one of those class hardware boxes for $800, no matter how much Apple tries. And they know that. Apple could. They just make the case out of solid gold. <laughs> well, then it would cost more than that. And, and so, so I, you know, I, I see them sticking with, it not certainly not going down market, if anything, going up market. Yeah, so here's a question for, and again, I don't think they're doing the puck based on this rumor, because I don't think they would characterize that as pro. It's just a different kind of computer or thing. But assuming they don't do a puck, and they do, you know, some kind of fairly traditional Mac Mini of some stripe. Will it be physically larger or smaller than the current Mac Mini? Oh, I think it'll be smaller. I just don't think it'll be a ton smaller. I you know? agree. And I mean, one one question is like, does it need to be square? Like from the you know the, from the top down view, does it need to be square? Because maybe they can make it if they, if it's not a perfect square. Maybe they can cram. Well, who am I? I was going to say maybe they can cram more ports in the back, but. No, it's Apple. Triangle. It's Apple. They're, they're going to shrink it down to a smaller square and just cut all the ports off. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's be realistic here what they're going to do. <laughs> but I, I really, I hope they don't. If they're going to shrink it, I feel like they could save a lot of room by ditching all the USB-A and replacing them with USB-C slash Thunderbolt. Uh, what else could they ditch? I don't even know what's in the back of the Mac Mini. So if, if you look in the back, they can lose the SD slot and scoot some things over. You know, the vent kind of gets in the way, though. And Did you, get... you just advocate getting rid of an SD card slot in anything? Are you feeling okay? In the context of a of a desktop computer, I'm worried about. Especially you. no, especially one that <laughs> is aimed at the kind of markets the Mac Mini is used in. I don't think it needs an SD slot. It would be nice to have one, just again for all the, for the versatility needs of you know maybe some buyers need it sometimes. But I would say it's less important on this than it is on on a laptop that like you are out somewhere and all of a sudden need one. And you, you know it's very different when you have a desktop. Um, I don't know if I agree with you. And the reason I say that is because I think you and I and possibly John tend to think of the Mac Mini as an accessory Mac in the same way that, say, my MacBook Adorable is an accessory Mac and my iMac that I'm talking to you through right now is my primary machine. But I would argue that for a fair number of people that the Mac Mini may be their only Mac, may be their primary Mac, especially people potentially who are switching from PCs and have keyboards and mice and monitors and so on and so forth. And for them, an SD card slot would be useful. And I guess that's part of the conundrum of the Mac Mini is 
what is this computer? You, you, the three of us were just discussing, is it the sort of thing that a NUC would handle where it's relatively low powered, not exceedingly fast, but physically very small and can be put anywhere to do any number of things, almost like a, a rich person's raspberry Pi or something. Um, and that's certainly something the Mac Mini can do and does do, but it's not the only thing it can do. And it can serve for some as their only computer. But I think you're right, Marco, that certainly anyone that I've spoken to, it tends to not serve as a primary computer as much as it serves as an accessory or secondary computer, in which case, then, yeah, the SD card slot should go. But I, I don't know. If, I, I don't have any idea what the usage patterns are uh, in the aggregate for the Mac Mini. And, and to be clear, I'm not saying they should remove it. I'm saying they could <laughs> remove it and sure. it would have I think it would have less negative impact than anything else than moving anything else on here. Uh, I think what they will remove is the audio in jack which is a shame of it's course. the it's the last mac sold that has an audio in jack and you know people use that i i really i hate that trend where they got rid of all the audio inputs that are built in this and i'm i'm somebody who owns lots of audio input peripherals i don't usually need it but sometimes i do and it's really nice to have and uh, and i'm using it on my current mac mini <laughs> um so i i think what they are likely to do if they update the port situation you know, obviously, they're going to replace the Thunderbolt 2 ports with Thunderbolt 3 USB-C ports. That's that's a given. There is an open question of whether they would also have any USB-A ports on it. The iMac Pro does. I hope the iMac Mini would for the same reason, that they have the space and it's useful. You know, So that's, they might as well keep USB-A if they can. Um, and otherwise, I wouldn't expect... You know, I, I think the argument for having a hardware HDMI port is as strong as it's ever been for these. So if you know they they justified having it on the previous model, I think the new model should also have a hardware HDMI port. USB-C HDMI dongles are not good enough and are not reliable enough. So it still needs that. And I hope it still has audio in and out, although I'm pretty sure it won't. Uh, at least not in. Other than that, you know, I I'm I really am curious to see, but I really hope they err on the side of more versatility for this product rather than trying to make the tiniest thing possible that has no ports. Here's how to most com- comprehensively ruin this thing. You mentioned perhaps having <laughs> the perhaps having the internals of the 13-inch MacBook Pro. Yeah. So make a Mac Mini that on the back of it has power, two Thunderbolt 3 ports, and a headphone jack. It's basically <laughs> a, a a MacBook Escape yep. with uh, oh, no gosh. monitor or keyboard or trackpad. Yay! And keep it expensive and yeah. keep it relatively large. So it's no good for the people who wanted a puck. And for the people who currently have a Mac Mini, it is the total dongle town punishment, you know, thing that you could... It's like, you got all this room back there and like there's no HDMI, there's no Ethernet, there's no USB-A, there's no audio in, there's no SD. It's like, yeah, it's like a 13-inch MacBook Pro. It's awesome, right, guys? Everyone loves it? <laughs> Sorry, there wasn't any room for any other ports. Yeah, see, and this is, I'm so, as I mentioned in, in the last few episodes, like, I'm sh- I'm so curious to see whatever the next, like, newly redesigned Mac is from Apple, because we don't know what direction they've taken. We don't know, like, if when they released all the USB-C generation of stuff, you know, two years ago, and there was a whole lot of negative feedback, we don't know, did they take that to heart? Did they change course? All we have is the iMac Pro, which is a great signal in the right direction. But we don't know yet what they're doing to the other products and and whether they're actually 
you know, considering a lot of this user feedback they've gotten, uh, or whether they're going to just keep yelling at us that a small number of USB-C ports is the answer and the only thing we need. Whatever Mac Mini is is being you know shipped this fall allegedly was probably designed after that feedback came in. Oh, you really? I think they might have started redesigning it as soon as they released the last one. It's like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. It just takes them four years to, to design <laughs> one of these because it's just one guy doing it all the work himself. Maybe. <laughs> well, if that, if that one guy hasn't changed, then uh, maybe he'll keep it keep it really good. Maybe he doesn't know about USB-C yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> he's, he's, just, he's off on some remote island somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, so... I, I really want to see both, you know, this new laptop we'll talk about in a few minutes and this new Mac mini just for the sense of like, what's different? Like, you know, if they don't actually change the external case at all and they just do a spec bump, first of all, for the Mac mini, that'd be totally fine. If that if that's all they do, that's totally fine, Apple. If that's if that's better than nothing. All right. Um, but, you know, that 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 I think won't be a sign of a whole lot of, you know, input on this subject. But if we see an entirely new case design for either of these products, that I think is a useful signal for where the rest of the things might be going that could help us judge whether they're on the right track or not. It can't really be surprising, though, can it? I mean, when has Apple lately, anyway, done anything but make it thinner, lighter, and fewer ports? The iMac Pro. I mean, we're, we're still saying it could be thinner, it could be lighter, it could have fewer ports, but it can't have just two thunderbolt three USB C ports like there's 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 fewer ports and then there's like no ports right so <laughs> fewer like what are we you know marco's already saying he's willing to give up the sd card that same reason i think if we lose all the usba that's not great but it's not the end of the world but if you lose ethernet and hdmi out of some misguided sense of purity that's just stupid all right any other thoughts on the phantom mac mini are any of us going to buy one i guess marco will you buy one if it has audio uh input it won't. And honestly, my current Mac Mini is fine. So when my current Mac Mini dies, or if I ever need a second one, I would definitely buy another one. Like I'm not like the reason I use a Mac Mini. I don't see that. I don't see those reasons going away for the foreseeable future. So as long as I need some kind of headless Mac running running these you know accessory tasks for me in my house, it's going to be a Mac Mini in all likelihood. But at the same time, I have no reason to upgrade my current one yet. So I would probably not buy one immediately. Casey, would you buy one? No, I have no need for one. Interestingly, I've, I've never owned one. And I think the main reason I wouldn't get one now is the Apple TV does a pretty good job of what I might use a Mac Mini for. I'm not going to use it as obviously my desktop. And we're not going to use it as my wife's desktop. And all my kids demand laptops because that's what computers are. So why the hell wouldn't they want a laptop, right? <laughs> um, and so the only place left I really have it is some kind of home server or something like that. Well, home server, my Synology handles, and TV connected box my Apple TV handles. My Apple TV can run Plex and Infuse, Plex with transcoding happening on the server and Infuse with transcoding happening on the Apple TV. And they read files from my Synology, which serves as my home file server thingy. So there's really no place in my computing life for a machine like the Mac Mini. If I didn't have an Apple TV, then this would be a way for me to buy an Apple product that let me have a, a thing connected to my TV that's less trouble in theory to deal with than a Raspberry Pi or a NUC or whatever, but I do have an Apple TV. Like I think, I think the Apple TV, this the Apple TV is the the current one is fairly powerful and as thin as the TVOS apps may be. Like there's not a lot of them and they're not great. There's enough of the important ones, particularly you know Plex and an app like Infuse and all of the various uh, iOS ports applications. Let me watch Hulu and Netflix and all that other stuff. 
that's enough for me for a TV connected box. So Apple ha- may have cannibalized that market with the the increasing power of the Apple TV. And I'm I'm kind of afraid to compare the CPU power of the current Apple TV with the current Mac Mini. Uh, but if they keep uh, like the Apple TV has been getting more updates than the Mac Mini, which is not saying much, but still it has been at a certain point. The Apple TV is probably going to be faster than even this new Mac Mini, so it doesn't have much appeal for me. Which you know is is kind of a shame because I feel like I'm the type of computer nerdy person who should be interested in the Mac Mini, but so far no. Fourteen hundred and six days as we record since the Mac Mini has been updated. The sixteenth of October, twenty fourteen. To put things in perspective, I didn't have any children then. <laughs> I was only a couple of weeks away from having a child, but I did not have children when the Mac Mini was updated. And now you've got two. We are sponsored this week by Molecule, a complete reinvention of the air purifier. Molecule is not just an improvement on outdated technology. It actually destroys harmful pollutants like bacteria, viruses, mold, allergens, and airborne chemicals instead of just collecting some of them on a filter. So unlike HEPA filters, Molecule actually breaks down and destroys these pollutants at a molecular level, completely removing them from the air you breathe using photoelectrochemical oxidation. This is PECO nanotechnology. So this actually eliminates allergens, mold, bacteria, viruses, and airborne chemicals. This includes the most microscopic of pollutants, VOCs, many of which are known carcinogens, and these claims have been tested and verified by third-party labs like the University of Minnesota Particle Calibration Laboratory and University of South Florida Center for Biological Defense. And the molecule air filter is also just really nice. It looks, I would say it looks kind of like the hybrid between the trash can Mac Pro and the cheese grater Mac Pro in context for, for our listeners. It, it is like a tall cylinder made of sleek aluminum. And it looks, it looks very much like an Apple product. It's, you know, just this nice, big, heavy aluminum. And uh, it just looks nice. The app is really nice to use. They sent me one. I've been using it for a few months. And honestly, it's pretty nice. I really like it. Um, it you know, if you want to clear out a room really fast you can turn it up really high if there was like something stinky or smoky or whatever in a room or if you just want to run it quietly all night you can run it on a super quiet setting and you can barely even hear it it's a really nice air filter and i'm looking forward to using it more this coming fall when there's a lot more stuff blowing around so check it out today for 75 dollars off your first order visit molecule.com and it's, and it's spelled just like the word molecule but if you replace the c with a k so it's m-o-l-e-k-u-l-e so for $75 off your first order, visit MoleculeWithAK.com, and at checkout, enter the code ATP. That's Molecule.com, code ATP. Thank you so much to Molecule for cleaning my air in my house and sponsoring our show. Okay, so the other thing that German spoke about, it was the, don't call it a MacBook Air or MacBook Air thing. So to reread the quote, the new laptop will look similar to the current MacBook Air, but will include thinner bezels around the screen. The display, which will remain about 13 inches, will be a high resolution retina version that Apple uses on other products, the people said. (laughs) I love their dumb style guide. I intentionally leave in those the people said things because they're so hilarious. (laughs) So you always know we're reading a Bloomberg quote when we have the people said yeah, indeed. So I, I don't know. I've been thinking a fair bit about this, and I have come to no good conclusions about what Apple is going to do. And Gruber posted just a little while before we recorded a really good uh, summary of what he thinks will happen, which I'm sure we'll end up talking about. But I, I, I 
try to think of what is my fantasy, like low cost Apple laptop that's in the spirit of the air. And I think what that basically amounts to is the MacBook adorable with another port. And maybe that's it. Now, I'll be the first to tell you the likelihood of that hitting the $1,000 price point that it seems the Air needs to hit is unlikely. It doesn't seem like you can get a MacBook adorable unless they just give it a hilariously small SSD. I don't think you're going to be able to find a MacBook adorable for $1,000. Why is that, though? That was the Gruber wrote about that in the thing, too, how the, how the MacBook never really came down in price. And so it's like, well, so obviously it can't be that because that's that's an expensive product. Is what should it be that expensive? Like I don't. Well, I'm looking at not. like. Well, th- there are certain things about it. So like, so I, I have I have a whole bunch of you know points I want to hit here. Um, so maybe I'll go into this now because it kind of gets into that. I, I I think one of the reasons why that is so expensive is that it is more expensive to make things super tiny in some ways. Like they have to have probably tighter tolerances on a lot of the metal. There's probably more, more complicated machining on that metal. They have that weird terraced battery in there because they can't use like regular sized cells because they won't fit. So like there are things about making something that small that probably do require it to be more expensive. My biggest, my, my biggest um, point here is that Apple needs to be willing to break the pattern that they've had for a while where the smallest device in a family is also the cheapest. When this pattern was established, you know, 10 years ago, or whatever, whatever it's been, the range of sizes of laptops was, it was a much smaller range. And a lot of, uh, by the way, a lot of this applies to iPhones too. Um, but you know, the, the range of sizes of laptops that you had, you know, say 10 years ago was like, you know, 13 to 15 inch basically there was briefly the 12 inch power book which is an exception to this although uh the 12 inch was indeed a power book which was like the macbook pro line it was not the ibook the ibook which was the value line was 13 to 14 inches back then but anyway so you know back when the assumption that the smallest could be the cheapest was established the range was the range of sizes was a lot smaller even the smallest models back then were still highly versatile. They, you know, they still had almost all the ports of the big ones. They had almost all the abilities, and they were still very good for pretty much any general purpose needs. The capabilities of the smallest model were not that different from the capabilities of the biggest model. The main differences were about what were basically screen size and possibly like you know GPU type abilities. But there were not that many differences between the laptops and also like their size and weight range wasn't that big either you know like it was they were they were three the two or three very fairly similar sizes that had fairly similar capabilities and all of them were kind of mass market friendly general purpose friendly and were very versatile to lots of different needs today though through a combination of technological progress and also just making a lot more compromises. Today, the the smallest in the lineup has gotten way smaller than what used to be the smallest. And between the smallest and the biggest, there's a much wider range than there has been in the past of capabilities, performance, and versatility. The difference between the smallest and, the, and even the next one up is a huge difference now. And so the assumption that the smallest needs to be the cheapest is actually bad for both sides. It's bad for the small products in the sense that lots of people buy the small products 
not because they're the cheapest, but because they're the smallest. They're people who would spend money on something that maybe had higher specs. But if the smallest has to also be the cheapest, then it has to cut corners and cut costs and not have all the nice specs, even not even have some of them even available as options, because it has to be the cheapest model and they have to you know cut corners as a result. And it's also not good for the buyers because now the smallest models require such extreme compromises and have such extreme you know, and, and controversial engineering and practicality decisions about them that a lot of people who just don't want to buy or can't buy one of the more expensive ones end up buying whatever the cheapest one is, even if it's like super not fitting their needs. Like, you know, and that's one of the reasons why the existing MacBook Air has, which has been around forever, uh, is still being sold and is still selling pretty well, and people still buy it a lot because if you go into an Apple store with like eleven hundred bucks and you want to you want to walk out of there with a Mac, your options are pretty pretty poor. And if you look at what you get for your money with the MacBook Air versus what you get for your money with the twelve inch or the or the Touch Bar or the Escape, uh, you know it's kind of no contest. So Apple needs a new differentiation and market segmentation strategy that doesn't rely on small size to create a entry-level price or, or to, to, to make cheaper products. And they also, you know, they've been, their, their strategy so far for the last, you know, while has been, oh, just sell old models and the old models would be our entry-level price. And I think that strategy is not aging very well either. I think the market's getting kind of tired of that, honestly, um, especially as the old models get older. <laughs> so, Selling the old models as the cheap models, I think that that time has passed. That that's a good idea, and and again, selling the smallest model as the entry level model, I think the technology has changed such that the smallest model is now so small that that's very compromised, and that's that's not no longer suitable to be a mass market machine. So the good thing is, I think Apple has seen this too. I think they figured this out too, and that's why I think we have. The especially the, the the biggest signal for this is the new inexpensive iPad, the 329 iPad that came out last year and was updated this year. You know, it, it used to be that the cheapest iPad was the iPad Mini, and they sold a whole bunch of iPad Minis to schools and businesses and stuff, not because they wanted the smallest iPad, but because they wanted the cheapest iPad. And it turned out that Apple could make a cheaper, better one, and they made a full size one. It wasn't the smallest one. It, and it's way better than the iPad Mini, partly because they've not updated it. But <laughs> put that aside for a moment. Um, you know that 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 three twenty nine iPad is a really good deal. It's inexpensive. They found ways to differentiate it from the iPad Pro, which costs almost twice as much, because there were lots of features added in the meantime that high end buyers wanted that low end buyers didn't care about. Things like the pencil support, the fancy display, the bunch of speakers, stuff like that, the faster processors. So anyway. They found ways to cut the price without selling either ancient models or just the tiniest one they have. There's also signs in the rumor mill about them doing this with the iPhone lineup, that apparently this fall, one of the iPhones is going to be this like LCD kind of mid-size model. It's between the 10 and the rumored 10 plus. It's like the six inch or something like that. I I forget the details, but like there's the rumors about this new iPhone that's going to have like, you know, more value targeted components, but not just be the tiny little iPhone SE. Because again, the iPhone SE has been their low end entry level model for a while. And honestly, it hasn't worked that well as an entry level model. It hasn't opened up to new markets like, like, you know, India and stuff, because like people don't want a tiny phone. They want a, a, a nice big phone, but it's for it to be cheaper. 
and and people who buy the SE are not, are not necessarily buying it because it's cheap. They're buying it because they they like the small phone, and maybe they don't want the small phone to have the crappiest components in the in the lineup. Um, maybe they want nicer stuff, and they're willing to pay for it. So separating size from market is a good thing. And so getting back to this, you know, MacBook situation that we that we might have here, it's very promising to me that the rumors of the value-priced new laptop are that it will be similar to the 13-inch Air, not to the 12-inch MacBook. That, I, th- I really hope that is correct because I think that's the way to go. I think the market has shown that the 13-inch Air, and by the way, remember, that they discontinued the 11-inch Air about uh, two years ago or so, um, and, and it kind of made the 13-inch like the cheap bulk purchase one because, again, they realized maybe that the smallest one was not necessarily the one that should be the cheapest one. Um, so anyway, I really hope this rumor is correct that the new value laptop will be similar to the 13-inch MacBook Air and just updated. And if you look at like what they could do in the Mac lineup, you know, similar to, to what they did in the iPad lineup to make that 329 iPad and separate it out from the iPad Pro and its capabilities, they could still have it be the 15-watt class CPU like they have in the current Air and the Escape, they, so it could have decent performance for lots of people for lots of different needs maybe they you know make the case less fancy so i i mean i wouldn't honestly rule out plastic i know they probably won't do it i I think it's unlikely but the the white plastic macbook was awesome i really enjoyed mine and and you know for a product that is hitting a price point and not like not trying to be the best of the best in every possible way it can be plastic that's totally fine there's lots of you know different materials and styles they can use these days that would, be, that would still seem modern um but that people would would not only not you know dislike but might actually really love um it wouldn't have to be as thin as the macbook uh pro line because again you're hitting a price point um so it, it could be a little bit thicker than than the new USB-C laptops it doesn't need to be so thin so if if the use of something less expensive requires a thicker case then that allows them to save again, save on machining, save on tolerances. They can save on that terraced battery thing I mentioned earlier. Like you just use regular battery cells. These are all ways to bring that price point down. You look at the, what the iPad does. It doesn't have that laminated screen. The screen is less fancy. You can make the screen less fancy in this. You could have it not have the P3 wide color, not have true tone. Um, maybe it doesn't have even the force touch trackpad. Or maybe, you know, maybe it's limited. Maybe it doesn't do the deep touch. It just does like that, that the first click. Maybe it only has one microphone instead of the two noise-canceling ones. Maybe it has slower flash for the SSD modules. Maybe it doesn't have the T2, or maybe it does to save component costs. Who knows? But like, there's all sorts of things they can do to this component. Maybe, maybe it doesn't have, even if it has USB-C, maybe it doesn't have Thunderbolt, just like the 12-inch. The 12-inch MacBook has USB-C, but it's not Thunderbolt. It's just USB 3.0. Maybe they could have that, but just have more of them. You know, they could have four USB-C ports that are just USB 3 and not Thunderbolt. There's all sorts of things they could do to cut the price and to segment it from the pro needs and the super nice maxed everything of the pro line without making it a piece of crap. And I really hope they do this. I really hope they have learned, finally, like, you need a modern, not necessarily smallest model to be your entry level in the Mac. The, the, the phone is a more apt uh, comparison as you already made, because I think they have, and the iPad have done that with iOS devices, made the smallest, the cheapest, just because people pay more money for big things. Uh, but the Mac I, I, historically 
even when there was the 11 inch air was that always the cheapest i thought there was always cheaper models uh like because you could get the you know that was back when they had max with optical drives and the 101 model so i think yeah, they've the 101 pretty- was the one one was cheapest for a while, but then there was a span of a few years where the 11-inch MacBook Air was the cheapest. And then after, and then eventually they stopped selling it to the public, and then but they kept selling it to education for a while, and I think they've even stopped that recently. Well, that was so small that that scared away regular people. So I think my memory is that most of the time in the uh, laptop line in the past uh, decade or so, the 13-inch was there was a 13-inch that was the cheapest one. Like they didn't want to sell you a 12 or an 11 as the cheapest. Um, but getting back to the 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 uh, macbook one for a second the reason i don't like that machine to continue coasting along is that i don't think it delivers enough value at its current price point the value it's delivering is look it's super small right and it's it's you know it's got a good looking screen but it's really really small and really really light that is its value that it's delivering and especially when it's new people will pay a lot for their value but as it gets older right and as it just stays the same size and gets older and older i feel like the wow factor and utility of being that small decreases in value over time. And yet the price stays the same. And I think the MacBook One, the way it should be, is it should be uh, an ARM processor with really long battery life and a retina screen and you know one or two more USB-C ports and it should be less money, right? Like that's the future of that line. Because I just don't think that, you know, that on the one hand, we have, here's the value I'm delivering as a product. I am really light and thin. On the other hand, we have, here is everything that you can't do with me because I compromise everything for light and thin. There's <laughs> there's less capability. It is slower and it has less capability. What balances that out? I'm really small. And I feel like that equation, the slowness and the capability starts to weigh more and more heavily. And because it's so small and because you have to use super low power chips, getting Intel out of that and putting ARM into it makes it less slow but the ARM chips cost like five bucks or whatever the hell they cost compared to the Intel. I know, you know, <laughs> as someone uh, posted in all caps in the chat because they're very excited, costs are not prices, but they are related in some way, right? The most expensive thing, it should be like an iPad. The most expensive thing in that laptop should be the screen because it is, you know, that, that should be the cost driver. And that's historically that has influenced the cost a lot, not just for just it and, you know, in Apple's parts, but also in what people are willing to pay for it. Like you, you don't have the stuff that's not in that. You don't have any of the stuff to deal with Thunderbolt. You don't have any of the things to deal with, like you know, external graphics and also like. There's less stuff in there. There's less capability. There's less speed. It should be. It should get cheaper. Uh, I don't think you can sustain that computer at, at thirteen hundred bucks with all the other prices staying the way they are. So that's why I'm disappointed that it has stayed that price, but is not getting any more capable. And, you know, I'm not arguing for this to be the entry level because I also agree that 12 inches is too small and it's just too compromised to be like the entry level computer. But I don't, you know, I I, I don't don't know if they're going to update it in this event, but I really think they should do something to it because I I just don't think it's worth the price they're charging for it currently. So their choices are either lower the price on it, which is a problem because, I don't know, maybe it's not a problem. I was going to say it's a problem because it's conflicting with the with their 13-inch entry-level thing, but maybe it's not because people can clearly see the difference, or uh, increase the capability somehow. And I feel like the only way you can increase the capability is like, what are your choices? Is there a better 5-watt chip from Intel that will make a difference? The way you increase this capability is by putting an ARM chip in there that's probably going to be faster than the current Intel chip. Um, but anyway, we're getting ahead of ourselves. That's, tw- that's a 2020 plan. So I really hope that the future of the MacBook One is that it gets an ARM chip 
and it starts to earn its value more. Because uh, just I just don't feel like it's... I, I know this is not the, the big problem in the line because it's the one computer that has a clear value proposition. I just think that value proposition is not as strong as it used to be. We are sponsored this week by Handy. Handy is the easy and convenient way to book home cleanings on a schedule that works for you. So you can book home cleanings with Handy right from their simple app or their easy-to-use website. You can compare profiles and read real customer reviews to find the perfect cleaning pro for your needs. All of Handy's pros are background checked, and all of their services are backed by the Handy Happiness Guarantee. They've done over 3 million cleanings, so they really know what they're doing. Handy offers clear, upfront pricing. What you see is what you pay, and you can pay securely right in their app without having to worry about having cash on hand or writing checks. So here's how that works. You go to Handy, you tell them the number of bedrooms and bathrooms in your home, and you pick the date and the time you'd like your home cleaned. You can give them cleaning priorities so that your pro knows what's most important to you, and Handy matches you with one of their top-rated pros. Or you can read real customer reviews and select the pro you want to hire specifically. And if you loved your cleaner that you had, you can add them to your pro team to use them for future bookings. So we had our ad salesperson, Jessie, book a cleaning service from Handy. And she said it was super easy to book. She was able to arrange for a next day cleaning. The professional arrived exactly on time, got to work immediately, took extra care with her home and all the things in it. The app made it super easy to treat, keep track of the scheduling and the booking and allowed it for easy communication with her pro. And she said it was great having her house clean while she was completing other chores and errands. Because, you know, deep cleaning can be really hard. It's easy to get distracted by your stuff or anything else so hiring a handy professional would be perfect in preparing for house guests cleaning up after a party or just keeping up with actual real life so get your first three-hour cleaning for just 39 dollars when you sign up for a plan visit handy.com slash atp and use promo code atp during checkout recurring charge terms and conditions do apply once again that's handy.com slash atp with special code atp thank you so much to handy for sponsoring our show and cleaning Jesse's house. I love these German articles where it, it's like either you have no information or you are terrible at conveying <laughs> the information you have. The new laptop will look similar to the current MacBook Air. If you have any information, say it. If you don't, what I hear is it will have a keyboard and a screen and it'll be a clamshell and you'll fold it. That's a laptop, dude. Looks similar to the current <laughs> MacBook Air. If what you mean is that it tapers, say that. If you don't know that it tapers, then you literally have no information other than this is just a laptop. I think that's so, more likely. <laughs> that, like, and but then why even say it looks similar to the MacBook Air? Just say it's a 13-inch laptop. Like that—that's what it comes down to. When I read this, I say if you choose the phrase to play, it means it has to have a taper. Anyway, I am all for a modern <laughs> interpretation of a Retina Air. It could share, you know, it could be an entirely new case. But if it tapers and has a Retina screen, people are going to say, "Hey, it's a it's a Retina MacBook Air," even though it has a different keyboard, different ports, and a totally different case design and a different screen. And like everything about it is different, but because it's taper, it's like a MacBook Air. So, uh, yeah, uh, you can definitely sell a 13 inch machine. That is. You know, well, here's the question. One of the questions from Gruber's thing: Say there's no taper, and say it's basically a modernized MacBook Escape. Are we excited as about? Are we as excited about that as we would be with a tapered machine that is also all new and 13 inch? Or is or the, you know, do we care? Does anyone care about the taper? I don't think. No. I mean, I think the taper was really cool when it came out in 2008. Yep. I don't think it 
really matters anymore. I mean, I, I think what we see with with the new generation of USB C MacBooks is it, MacBook Pros rather is that you don't really need the taper to achieve that size class anymore. Like the the thirteen inch, fifteen ish watt, three ish pound laptop is totally achievable without a taper now. And so I, I just don't think we need it anymore. Also, by the way, I just one thing I, that I forgot to mention before um, with the keyboard. Yes, I know I'm talking about the keyboard, you know, ring some bell somewhere. But like <laughs> the butterfly keyboard has got to be more expensive to make than a regular keyboard, than the scissor keyboard. So, again, yet another reason why the 12 inch and maybe even the escape, why they can't probably replace the air at its price point. And why making a model from scratch that can, one of the ways that can save money, put a less exciting keyboard in it. Because less exciting keyboards are super cheap. You think you just you just wanted not to have the butterfly keyboard. Yep. No, but but I'm but I'm actually saying I guarantee you, I guarantee you the butterfly keyboard is more expensive to to have in those laptops, both in manufacturing cost and in warranty repair cost. I guarantee you it costs Apple more to put that in the laptops than to have a regular scissor, scissor keyboard in there. So yet another way they can make a new model different and cheaper to make and to sell is a boring old keyboard. You think, but do you think this new 13-inch laptop is going to have a butterfly keyboard or not? No. And do you think it will have any keyboard we've ever seen from an Apple product or it will be an entirely new keyboard? That I don't know. Um, I mean, the fact is scissor keyboards are pretty easy to, you know, engineer and alter. I mean, Apple has, has done so many different scissor keyboards over the years. It wouldn't be that big of a deal if they made a new one, honestly. But I, I honestly don't think, first of all, that the market that buys these definitely doesn't want a butterfly keyboard. And second of all, I again, I think for price reasons, it would be really dumb to put one in there. Um, and 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 I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't necessarily think if they put a scissor keyboard in it, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, this is the end of the butterfly keyboard across the whole lineup. You know, like I was saying earlier, that whatever they do could signal other changes later down the road. Um, because just again, because I I really do think the cost difference is likely to be very large. That. The, you know, if they put a scissor keyboard in it, that really could just be for cost reasons because it's got to be a big difference. Well, I think if this computer has a different case than the MacBook Air, like, you know, a different bottom case, then it's going to have a keyboard that is basically the same as the the butterfly keyboard from the outside and maybe the same on the inside. I would be shocked if this thing does not have essentially if you looked at, it, oh, it's a butterfly keyboard again, feels like it looks like it travels like it may literally be the butterfly keyboard i do not expect this computer to have an all-new keyboard i just like I, I will be pleasantly surprised if it does i really hope it does but i don't expect it to have uh, one like the macbook air and i don't expect it to have an all-new one i think it's just going to be basically guess what it's another computer with the butterfly keyboard on it just because it seems to me that not that apple's wed to it but that the lead time on this computer is not enough for them to get a new keyboard in time and that it would have been designed in an era where they were like butterflies everywhere. We'll fix it with the little rubber condom thing. Like so, I'm I am fully geared up for a new 13 inch laptop that is essentially red in the air with a butterfly keyboard. <laughs> I think you're right, and I don't know anything about manufacturing, but I have to wonder if going all in on one keyboard design would would end up saving money because you don't have to have like two different manufacturing lines for these two different keyboards. And if you can just commit to one keyboard that presumably it's the identical keyboard used in every model, then would that actually end up being a bit of a cost savings overall? It'll streamline all your warranty repairs as, as the assembly line <laughs> of, of broken keyboards comes through your retail centers. It's nice that they're all the same. 
I mean, be, yeah. <laughs> before before we get you know too predictive about like streamlining their their operations, keep in mind currently in production right now are like four different varieties of this keyboard and whatever is in their low-end macbook air replacement if they actually do successfully replace the macbook air with it will probably outsell every other model so for efficiency's sake even if it is the only model with this one keyboard that's more efficient than what they do now where they have these they, they have like four different laptops now that have slightly tweaked or very tweaked keyboards in them compared to each other so like they're already not having the same keyboard everywhere. So what I would expect this to be basically the magic keyboard. I would expect the the new layout with, you know, no more inverted T arrow keys, much to my chagrin, and thin bezels around all the other keys, you know, thin margins. But I would expect under it to be scissor switches. So I think the, the best case scenario is what we were talking about before we read these rumors, which is, you know, Marco's idea of like an all new computer, everything, you know, like, the keyboard's new, the case is new, it signals the new design era coming on the heels of the design era kicked off with the 2015 MacBook. That time is over now, and now we're going to enter the new era, and this is the very first computer we talked about uh, last week on last week's show. The very first computer of this new era of design. That is my best case scenario, because that would be like, great, Agreed. I get to, get to see what the new thinking is. But what I'm actually expecting is a 13-inch uh, airish thing with the butterfly keyboard that, you know, blah 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 that, that's what i expect um and so hopefully i'll be pleasantly surprised but either way um the the second question that i guess i don't think was addressed in this article or whatever is do they stop selling the air <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a very good question Honestly, they drop the price yeah <laughs> I, I'm, I'm guessing the air gets one final price drop and goes education only for like one or two years but <laughs> that's and that would be it that's an interesting point. Yeah, because the air does have things, some things going for it in terms of, I'm not going to say proven reliability or proven ruggedness, but at least known. Like, I, I'm not even sure how rugged airs are. Like, my daughter finally managed to kill ours. We have a 2011. <laughs> Somehow she like cracked the screen or something. So now like there's these visible creases in the screen, and then the LCD is all like bleeding with these weird arty green lines. Anyway, she killed it. it still works but it looks like a mess. I'm not quite sure how I did it, but up to that point, she dropped it. She ate food over it. She did like everything you can imagine this thing. Uh, so, and no key is ever broken on it. Like it seems pretty rugged to me. So the reason to keep selling an education is schools like them. They, they work for schools and they're, you know, they, they're a known quantity. The other reason is, uh, that maybe Apple knows at this point, it doesn't have any replacement computers that can match its ruggedness whether or not you think it's super rugged it seems to me that every other computer that they currently sell is provably less rugged especially in a school environment like anything with a butterfly keyboard seems like it's out just because kids are gonna you know especially young kids just gonna be a mess all over that and i i think we've seen a couple of people in our friend circle was it one or two i don't know who had 2018 keyboards and had a key go wonky yeah, it was, was, it? It was both, yeah, Stephen and John Gruber. His review laptop has a wonky key, uh, or at least had one. And Stephen Hackett's laptop has a wonky space bar. And, and, we, and there was a couple of Reddit threads, people saying they did as well. Clearly, the butterfly keyboard is not fully fixed. I think, just a quick sidebar on this, uh, my theory on this is the butterfly keyboards have had multiple ways to fail. There has been dust ingress that has caused one type of failure. And there's also just been like, 
you know, some of the metal parts have just been super thin and weak and, or maybe manufactured to the wrong tolerance or whatever. And so there've been like, kind of like just like mechanical failures as well as dust ingress causing failures. The new gasket thing has probably dramatically improved the ingress to the point where that's going to be way less common, but we don't yet know. And it looks like the answer is probably no, whether it improved the other kind of failures, <laughs> the, the, you know, just the metal breaking or parts bending or, thermal expansion causing problems or whatever else so i expect based on what we the little information we have so far i expect these keyboards to still occasionally fail for people but just to be at a substantially lower rate than the previous years uh so i I don't think we're out of the woods and we know the little gasket has holes in it too so it doesn't actually solve the ingress problem it just in theory makes it better it should reduce the occurrence I, i feel like the only way that they could the only way they should retire the air for education customers and so on is if in the optimistic scenario if their new low-cost laptop is all new like that they have some reason to believe that it has a chance of matching their reliability uh you know because they say we, we designed this all new thing it you know we've learned from our mistakes with the butterfly keyboard here is a new keyboard that again may look and feel exactly the same as the butterfly keyboard but internally be 100 percent different you know for reliability purposes then they can maybe feel comfortable retiring the air or retiring it sooner. But without that, I don't, there's, I, I wouldn't, you know, we we're talking about like, oh, what laptops we feel comfortable recommending to people. And I think, again, a success criteria for the new laptops would be like, when this new 13 inch uh, laptop comes out, is it the one that we finally feel comfortable recommending to for people who want a laptop but don't want to spend three grand or something? We'd be like, finally, I can recommend this one without reservations to a certain set of customers. Can you recommend what kind of laptop will we be able to recommend for education customers without a bunch of caveats? There's no way I'd want any of the butterfly keyboard laptops to be recommended for schools. There's just there's just no way. Like there's a million reasons why you wouldn't want that to be the case. And so Apple would be foolish to get rid of the air at this point unless they unless they have a, a new laptop that will that will take its place. That is a sad thought. I mean, it really does seem like this keyboard stuff is still up in the air, and I I feel like everyone was pretty confident. No, they really they really got it this time, and eh, maybe not. <sighs> Sigh. All right. Any other thoughts on this? I am optimistic. I think it's a good sign that that this is being rumored and being rumored strongly. It it does seem, and I think it was Marco that said this earlier. It does seem that much later than we all wanted, Apple is starting to hear us and hear our complaining about the Mac lineup. And I'm a little sad, but not surprised that, that they're taking it in chunks, but this is definitely positive motion. If this is all real, or if, if, if some subset of this is real, this is positive motion that Apple is starting to pay attention again, or I mean, presumably they've been paying attention for a while, but we haven't seen the results of that labor. And so now we're starting to see the results, hopefully. And certainly the, the new MacBook pros, uh, from a, what was it a month or two ago? That's a good step. There's obviously a lot of stuff that's yet to be updated. And so I hope to see that updated over the remainder of the year. It certainly seems like the more we hear about, new things that are coming, the more I think this is probably a two event fall, which I wouldn't have said just a couple of weeks ago, I don't believe. Oh, but yeah, because like, cause look at what you have on the table, right? Like, what is rumored or likely to come out this fall? You have at least one Mac, but pro- chances are it isn't just this new budget thing. Chances are it's the budget laptop, iMacs, probably maybe a Mac Mini, 
Um, am I forgetting anything else? The Ma- does the MacBook One have anything new? To oh yeah, right. Yeah, it? yeah. The twelve inch MacBook One. So you have MacBook One, <laughs> budget laptop, which I do think are two different things. Uh, I iMac and maybe Mac Mini. So that's four Macs. Plus you have the introduction of what sounds like three iPhones. Although to be fair. I do think this this iPhone launch is going to be a quieter one. You know, last year was in, in like the typical like you know TikTok cycle of iPhone launches. Last year was the big one. It was like the big update, and then so this year is going to be like the the kind of S revision. It's you know going to be some kind of new technologies here or there, faster. But I think it's going to be mostly a quieter year for the iPhone, which creates space for these other things to to be promoted and everything. You also have iPad Pro, very likely. And it might be a big year for the iPad Pro because it might be getting that you know the the you know thin bezel possible notch kind of thing, uh, Face ID right. So there's that. There's an update to the HomePod probably. There is new Apple Watch, which is also rumored to be a fairly significant update to the Apple Watch. New form factor maybe. Yeah, exactly. So like it's going to be probably a big a big fall for the Mac, the watch, and the iPad. And and maybe like a medium to small one for the iPhone. So they could do this all in one big blowout event. But boy, that's that's a lot of stuff to cram in there. Yeah, I think it's one big event for the iOS devices and one small event for the Macs. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Probably. Oh, a couple of things we didn't touch on just to, to get them out of the way. We we all just assume that the, the new low-cost laptop, no touch bar, right? Oh, no, definitely Ooh, no touch bar. Yeah. Because, because yeah, like that's, that's again right. like that's something like the, the, when you when you look at the lineup, the MacBook Escape is weirder and weirder. Like I honestly, here's one thing too. I think the MacBook Escape might be discontinued because what it was it was trying to be the Air replacement, but it just did a really bad job at replacing the Air because it, it replaced the Air like in component in core component class, but it didn't replace the Air in low cost versatility. So. Ultimately, I don't see a big future for the MacBook Escape. As much as I loved mine before the keyboard got bad, um, I think the the lineup would be a lot cleaner if the MacBook, if every MacBook Pro had the Touch Bar, and and you know the other things don't need, don't have it or don't get it, and you know maybe lack some other stuff as well, like you know the True Tone and stuff like that. But that's a clear dividing line, I think. And and in in the lineup that i foresee that where this where this this new budget laptop replaces the air i don't see a place in this lineup for the macbook escape it's another thing that grinds my gears about the macbook one at its current price it's priced like it should have a touch bar but there's no way you can put a touch bar on that thing because you just don't have the power and the space and you're not going to put a little you know the t1 or whatever the hell chip is power like it just doesn't fit on that but you, it's priced like it should have one so it's i find i find that computer upsetting <laughs> <laughs> the, more, the more I think about it, because I looked, I, I I spend a lot of time thinking about that in Casey with his and how everyone always wants to buy another one because they're a little bit slow. I'm like, put an ARM processor in it and make it way cheaper. Like, what are you even doing? It's not, I don't feel like it's holding up its end of the bargain anymore. It used to. When it was first introduced, you can get tons of money for it. But a couple of years later, I'm, I'm sour on it. I mean, the MacBook Air had the, had the exact same progression. Like, the MacBook Air started out at, at around that, you know, $1,600, $1,700 price point when it was the new slim thing. But then when it started becoming, like, the mass market thing, it just slowly came down and down and down. I I don't know if they're going to do that with the 12-inch. Because I think as much as we complain about it and, and as much as limited as it is, it does have a, a pretty good fan base. It's just not entry-level buyers. But there, there are lots of buyers who love the 12 inch the way it is, and well, because it sucks so bad, they have capable. to. And because it sucks so bad, they have to keep buying it every every year. Yeah. So it sells really well because it's never good enough to last more than a year for anybody. 
I say this, and maybe I'm getting more angry about it because I may soon be in the market for it. Because we have to mention that my daughter, <laughs> like actually, my daughter destroyed our 2011 MacBook Air. Oh no! Right, and now the the kids need computers for school, and uh, my wife is sick of them using her computer, and so we have to get them something. And I'm like, so what am I going to get? I mean, that's a lot of my hopes are pinned to this new low cost laptop. Is I'll buy this instead of the MacBook One. First of all, I think about my kids bending the MacBook One in half because it is so thin. And second, that can happen. Like, they can bend. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, and second is I don't I don't want to buy a computer that expensive for kids that are going to destroy it. But it's it's the least powerful Mac. And I yeah. Anyway, um, well, I honestly I, gotta, I told everybody if, if I had to buy your children a laptop today, it would be another 13 inch MacBook Air. I know that's the worst. I like a refurb, <laughs> you yeah. know, MacBook Air, and I'm just like, can I really gonna I'm really gonna give her the? It would be like half the price and probably better for their actual use. I know. I mean, that's <laughs> still maybe what we end up buying. Hell, maybe I'll buy another 2011. I just the screen is gross. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think my son is getting a Chromebook next year at school, which you know, blah. But whatever, he's got to do what he's got to do. But for this year, we need to get him something. So when these laptops come out. We're getting something probably. It's just, will it be a used one? Will it be new? Will it be refurb? It all depends on what they introduce. And, you know, and I think this is probably, I'm suddenly in like the normal market for computers because I don't want to spend a lot of money on this computer uh, because my kids are going to destroy it. Uh, and it doesn't need to be powerful and it does need to be rugged. And, you know, so I'm, I'm shopping like, like a normal person who's not a computer nerd for a brief moment in time. And it'll be sad if my, if my best bet is, to get a refurb model or a used model or something. I would honestly, I would get like a clearance or refurb MacBook air. I, I don't know. That, that's a tough call, but Marco's probably right that just giving her another MacBook air may be the best answer, at least for now. Well, I guess the best answer is to wait a month or two if you can, but if you can, yeah, that, that is the best. No, I'm totally waiting. I said, we're not, we're not doing anything until we see the new laptops to come out. So, yeah, you can get a refurb 13 inch air from Apple right now for 850. Like you're not going to do better than that in the 12 inch lineup. <laughs> that screen is so gross. I do feel bad with my kids having to look at, you know. But they don't care. Nope. I'm not I'm not entirely sure they don't care. I've been thinking I've been thinking about this like they watch YouTube on their iPads and practically speaking their iPads have better screens than the MacBook Air. Like their Retina, the color reproduction is better, the viewing angles are better. And I don't know if those two things are connected. Maybe they just, you know, they do it because they, you know, they don't need a keyboard to do that. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if that, like, may, I'm not sure I'm going to give them any input into it. But I may, once I think I've come to a decision, I may actually let them voice an opinion, like go into an Apple store and say, uh, if you had to pick a laptop, which one would you want? Just to see what their answer would be, because they don't know how much things cost, because they don't understand money, because they're kids of rich people or whatever and so you see like what do they end up picking do they do they immediately go to you know the ipads and say this is what i want for school with the keyboard attached will they will they pick an air will they will they pick the macbook one because they come in like you know green or pink or whatever the hell colors they come in these days that'll be a fun experiment we are sponsored this week by Linode, my web host of choice. Go to linode.com slash atp to learn more and get a twenty dollar free credit. Linode is quite simply awesome web hosting in the cloud. You get these fast, really price competitive virtual servers, and they're all backed by everything you'd want out of a web host. They are reliable, they have 24-7 support, and it's super easy to use. You can get a server running in under a minute. All of this is backed by incredible pricing. Plans start at one gig of RAM with your virtual instance for just $5 a month. 
and they have all sorts of plans. If you have bigger needs than that, I have all sorts of different sizes. I, I have something like 20 Linode instances for all my various stuff. My blog runs on one of those super low-end ones because they're fast. They're super fast, even at $5 a month. So my blog runs on something about that size. Overcast has servers that span from, I think, $10 a month all the way up to $300 a month for my super big ones. They have every plan you might need, all the requirements, all the hardware, all the specs from big to small. All this is backed by seven-day money-back guarantees, and again, it's super easy to use. Their control panel is awesome. I have used lots of web hosts before, and most of their control panels made me want to run screaming and never touch it again. Linode's is downright pleasant to use, and the functionality it offers is also really nice. You can do things like resize your disk images. All you got to do is shut down the server, hit resize, boot it back up, and it actually works. Like I've done this on database servers. This is something that was unheard of even five or 10 years ago. It just works with Linode. It's super easy. They have all sorts of other services that you might need, things like backups, load balancing, stats with their long view system. It is super easy to use. You can do Docker containers there. You can do encrypted disks if you need to. You can run VPNs, or you can run apps like Overcast or simple stuff like a blog or a file server. Whatever you need, Linode can help you and it's all backed by native SSD storage on a 40 gigabit network running on my favorite Intel Xeon E5 processors. There's so much more with Linode. If you want to work at Linode, if you're interested in a career there, go to linode.com slash careers. They have an API to program against to script your infrastructure stuff. There's so much at Linode, I cannot possibly recommend it enough. It's where all my stuff is. I've been there for, I think, about eight years, nine years now, and it's the best. Go to linode.com slash ATP or use promo code ATP2018. Those will get you a $20 credit. So on the $5 a month plan, that could be four free months. Once again, linode.com slash ATP, promo code ATP2018. Thank you so much to Linode for sponsoring our show. Ask ATP. Sounds good. All right. Starting with Luke Bennett, who asks, in the house that I rent, we have the modem and Wi-Fi router set up in a room at the front of the house, as it's the only place in the house that we can get it set up. Unfortunately, the house is fairly long and is not wired for Ethernet, so the Wi-Fi signal at the far end of the house is quite weak. Currently, I have a cheap Wi-Fi repeater plugged into the wall near my desk. My question is, short of running Ethernet, what is the best way to upgrade my network? A power line networking adapter or a mesh network? And Luke uh, cites the Netgear Orbi. So I have never used Powerline networking, but I've heard good things about it if you're not looking for, you know, the, the fastest connection in the entire world. Obviously, as you said, the best answer is to run Ethernet. I have an Eero set up here at the house. My, my dad just got an Eero set up, actually my old Eero set up for his house. They are sponsors, although not this particular episode, and both the old and new Eero setups were comped, uh, so I paid nothing for them. But I've had nothing but good experiences with them. They're, it's pretty plug-and-play, and I have a feeling that Marco's going to end up talking about Ubiquity, and everything I've heard about Ubiquity is that it is phenomenally good, but far from plug-and-play. Uh, but the Eeros work great, and I would recommend at least trying that based on my very limited experience. Before we have Marco uh, going on about how wonderful Ubiquity is, John, what's your thoughts? Uh, did, I just want to ask Marco, did you use Powerline Networking? Because that's why I put this in here. I thought one of us actually used Powerline Networking. I did indeed use Powerline Networking. And I'm not going to talk about Ubiquity because it's not going to solve your problem. What? <laughs> oh, I'm surprised. All right. Well, now, John, I don't care what you have to say. Marco, start talking. <laughs> um, I did use Powerline Networking for um, something small. I think it was like a... 
smart light switch or i forget exactly why i use it. i used it a few years ago and it's way better than it used to be like when it first came out like what maybe 15 years ago it was super slow and and it was you know really it was you know you'd get like terrible speeds and the new the newest iteration of it which isn't that new um is inexpensive and not that slow if you look at somewhere like the wire cutter they review them sometimes and, and you can see like that that's what i did when i bought mine a few years back and i don't use it anymore though um what if it was just too slow for me and i just upgraded my wi-fi and it was better so what you could so your options here so again so to recap you're trying to trying to cover a very long house the house is rented which means modification is probably not allowed at least heavy modification um so that probably rules out things like actually running ethernet very long unless you want to like just run on the floor which kind of sucks um and currently the setup is a wi-fi repeater wi-fi repeaters suck they suck probably a little bit more than powerline networking sucks but all of those things suck ultimately the best system here is either find a way to run ethernet and just have two ap's and and that can be then whatever you want that could be something like an eero or an orby um not all of the configurations of these systems support wiring the endpoints like with eero the uh the main base station is wired but the beacon unit is not wireable and not wired as far as i as far as i know um but you can get a second one of the regular base stations and they can work together and you can wire the second one either way even if you get a system like this if you just use the wireless repeating functionality the way they work is way more sophisticated and usually way higher performing than the old kind of wi-fi repeaters and that's and they advertise that and again as case said these are sponsors however i have actually paid for euro systems twice actually um and they're yeah they're they really are the real deal i've never used the other systems like i've never like the the neck gear orby or actually ubiquity has one that i've never used um but i have used eero and i can say it's wonderful uh and it really does work this way if you want just good coverage and okay speeds that's the way to go if you want good coverage and good speeds you're going to have to run ethernet to a second ap um, whether that is a second Eero base unit or whether it's some other system like my beloved Ubiquiti, you know, Pro Gear, that's up to you. Um, but any kind of wireless broadcasting, rebroadcasting mesh kind of thing, Wi-Fi repeaters at the very bottom of the, of the spectrum. Powerline networking is a small step above that, <laughs> a very small step above that. Above that, you have systems like Eero and maybe Orbi. I don't know how it, how it works. And then above that, you have when the things are actually all wired that's ultimately what you want for performance. But you might not need that kind of performance. You you might be totally fine with just wired mesh networks. Um, and if that's the case, then just get something like Eero or Orbi. Uh, I'll just give one more Eero success story. Um, my sister has one, and I was like, oh, when you get it, like, call me on the phone, and I'll help you set it up, so on and so forth. She didn't call me. She set it up herself. Oh, yeah, it's super easy. That's always been my my vision for the thing is like like if you have to pick one thing that you people have that you think someone will have who's not into computers will have the highest chance of successfully setting up Eero is it but I was always like questioning like yeah but is it actually that easy like it's easier than anything I've done before but it's still there's a lot of stuff to know but you know she I don't even I didn't even tell her the way you do it is by downloading the app this is like but from her opening the box and I guess seeing that little card that says hey guess what download the app and so she did and went through it the only part that she got wrong which she can't be blamed for because took me a while to figure out how to do it in person and then i 100 percent forgot how to do it in person and had to refigure it out over the phone which was fun anyway she has like a cable box thing 
and it has its own or cable modem and it has it makes its own wi-fi network so she set up the euro successfully but now she has two wi-fi networks in the same house both running on 2.4 gigahertz so i had to turn off the one in the cable modem and that's never easy you gotta like connect to the cruddy web interface on the cable modem and find (laughs) where the thing is and turn it off and you know anyway so that was the only part you got wrong but she was able to set it up herself so i would i agree with marco's advice that unless you're doing something that you think you need ethernet bandwidth for the current crop of mesh network things really do work as advertised and they're way better than repeaters all right arian aneha aneja writes what does marco think of his oled tv i recently bought a set and listened to the episode where marco bought the lg c7 tv i wanted to know how that was going for him and whether there were any particular feedback he'd like to give regarding the same and then there's an additional follow-up for john after so marco how do you like your tv i absolutely love it it is fantastic it has ruined all other tvs for me so it, it is indeed it's the lg c7 it's an oled 4k i was waiting to go 4k until i could, until i could get oled 4k and it is just amazing it, it really like it, it it looks so good and, and both in in you know color and brightness and contrast and also just like how just incredibly like you know deep the blacks are and everything it's so good that not only do i have no regrets I don't even like I have no temptation to, for instance, play the Nintendo Switch in portable mode because I just want to see it on my nice big TV. I don't want to like watch good TV shows away from my TV or watch movies away from my TV because they look so much better on my TV. Like when I'm on vacation, I won't watch good stuff. (laughs) You know, like I I just want to watch everything on that TV at home. It's it's just it is that good. And so I have no regrets I, I don't follow the TV market the way John does, so he's I'm, I'm sure he's going to say all the ways that it sucks and what's coming that I should have waited for, but I'm extremely happy with it. All right. Has John used no LED panel recently? Is he thinking of upgrading? How does it compare to his plasma? I haven't used one in that I don't have one in my house, but I've certainly seen them plenty in uh, in stores and stuff and been looking at them. I am thinking of upgrading maybe next year maybe the year after but i'm i'm in the mode now where i'm looking at models with the with the intent that i'm trying to find one that i'm ready to buy and i'm gonna have to buy a bunch of other stuff how does it compare to my plasma there are still the reason part of the reason i'm waiting is there are still a couple of minor compromises with oleds as compared to plasma overall they're way better so there's it's not like uh, waiting for something that has a better picture than my plasma oleds do but they have a different set of compromises so uh, you know, motion reproduction and uh, showing uh, 24 frame per second content. The current crop of OLEDs, even like the C8 and like the, the current year, like the 2018 ones, uh, still have some minor issues with uh, with motion. Uh, frustratingly, one of the models that does a really good job with this, uh, I didn't even know this until I started getting more heavily into the YouTube channels, uh, Panasonic sells OLEDs, just not in the U.S., it kind of pisses me <laughs> off because I've had Panasonic TVs. That's what all my plasmas have been. And I'm like, wow, they make OLEDs. And, you know, they're really highly rated. They're all use the same panels. Like, it's all using the same LG panel. So it's not that much variety. But where it comes up is in the, the processing and the, you know, in, in basically the computer part of it. And so there are minor differences because if they're all using the same freaking panel, like, how different could it really be? And all OLEDs have the ability to, you know, have infinite blacks and all that other stuff. But dealing with motion is actually surprisingly tricky partly because of the way oleds work where it's not like a if you ever see a slow motion picture of how plasma not all plasmas but like you have to look at a particular model how plasmas draw their picture on the screen it's not like they just light up a bunch of pixels in the colors plasmas show 
a series of lit up color pixels one after the other that combine to form the final image. Uh, and they have refresh rates that are more flexible uh, than than most of the current OLEDs. And it's like the current OLEDs part of the problem is that they just show one frame and then instantly show the next frame, which is, isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? But when you see that, especially like 24 frames per second, it can look a little weird and jerky because 24 frames per second is a standard that was created at a time where we displayed an image on a movie screen and then, you know, went black and displayed the next frame and went black and displayed the next frame, right? And so now OLEDs have a thing where they call black frame insertion, where rather than showing frame one for the entire duration until we instantly show frame two, they'll show frame one and then insert a black frame and then show frame two. And they do that to make the motion seem more smooth because the sort of persistence of vision makes your eye interpolate between them. Um, so, I mean, these, these are these are very minor computer nerdy things that most people won't notice, but there's a couple of good videos on YouTube where you can watch and you can see the some some motion reproduction, like it looks a little bit stuttery. It's not. It's like accurately showing 24 frames per second. It just does it in such a sort of unnatural way as compared to oral display technologies before it. Um, and the problem of black frame insertion is you can sometimes see a little bit flickery, like like you can see the flame the frames being inserted. Some people are more sensitive to it than others. So there's no and my, basically what I'm getting at is my plasma does motion better than a lot of OLEDs do. Um, and color reproduction uh, is, is obviously better on the OLEDs as well. Uh, so I'm still and kind of waiting. And the final thing is burn-in. Um, Marco hasn't mentioned it. Hopefully he never looks for it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to guess that uh, he may have some hearts in the upper left-hand corner of the screen. <laughs> uh, you know, depend, depending on how much Zelda is played there. You know, ignorance is bliss. But uh, bottom line is that OLEDs have uh, burning problems just like Plasma did and does. Uh, I still deal with, uh, you know, burn-in or whatever, image retention, whatever you want to call it, on my Plasma. I kind of am not looking forward to getting another television that I have to worry about this about. That's why I've kind of been looking at some LCDs to say, could I could I deal with worse picture quality with just not having to worry about image retention anymore? I probably won't do it because I'm obviously I've, I've lived with it through, you know, multiple years with multiple plasmas. I'm just going to keep doing it. It's just kind of I'm just kind of tired of having to worry about image retention and kind of tired. Of, like because I played Zelda on my TV. I burned in the hearts. They're slowly fading. It's like it's worth it for me. Like it's the compromise <laughs> that I choose to do, but I don't play <laughs> Destiny on it. Um, so that's something to be aware of. OLEDs have image retention. If you're used to LCD TVs and used to not worrying about that, you may be unpleasantly surprised by your awesome looking OLED TV if you like watch CNN all day and then notice the CNN ticker is there and it takes a year for the CNN <laughs> ticker to fade, you know. So not everyone is ready to sign up for that kind of babying or maybe not everyone is, you know, sensitive to that type of thing or don't don't watch uh, shows with uh, with persistent images. Again, with the modern TVs, the, they have features that like try to find static images and uh, on the screen like those little like the cbs logo or the cnn ticker and try to fade them in intensity that's more image processing stuff again the computer part of the television the current features that do that aren't great they're better than nothing but they can they can get false positives where they fade parts of the picture that aren't really bugs and fading them doesn't really keep them from burning in you know period it just makes them burn in more slowly and less so there's still compromises, uh, but bottom line is I'm probably going to buy an OLED. If you're in the market for a TV, you should 
consider whether you care enough about OLED to pay the very high price premium and to deal with burn-in, or whether you can get away with one of the increasingly capable LCDs with local dimming that is not going to look as good as an OLED, but will be cheaper and will let you not have to worry about all these weird issues. Finally, Wayne Robinson asks, given Marco's lease for the Model S is up in April, has he considered at least test driving the Jaguar I, or, I'm sorry, everyone, Jaguar I-Pace, which is similar performance, but seemingly much better interior fit and finish to the Model X? Nope, because it's an SUV and I don't like the way it looks. I have no interest in it. That's too bad. I watched a uh, uh, like five minute Top Gear, not the main host that you're thinking of remember that top gear is a like media empire and so is one of the many other people on staff i think it was john that actually pasted it in uh, the in the slack but anyway uh they did a five minute feature on the ipace and granted this is you know a bunch of brits talking about a british car and naturally they're going to be effusive about it but it genuinely seemed really nice based on that five minute youtube video i watched which we'll put in the show notes it lo- i thought it looked aesthetically just fine i mean it's a little bit different but i i thought it looked good i, I don't think the model x looks bad but i i don't think it looks good at all whereas i think the ipace looks good and the interior looked like an interior should there were buttons and switches and dials imagine that so it looks good to me but uh, obviously i've never driven one and i did price one earlier tonight and I priced it in such a way like, hey, if I was really considering this, which I'm not, but if I was really considering this, how much would this cost? You know, not the let's, you know, throw money away for the fun of it build, the legitimate what would I want build. And so let's see here. The total cost $83,140. <laughs> not cheap. Yeah. Although to be fair, for what it's competing against, that's actually a fairly you know inline yeah. price but it, yeah, it yeah, is yeah. undercutting the competition because you can get sure. an eye pace for like 60 grand or something can't you or 70 like you can't. yeah but it wasn't particularly well appointed but uh or that's uh i don't know if that's the word i'm looking for but anyway it was, it, it was not a beater but it was not fancy either if that makes sense yeah i i have no interest in this car i mean first of all i'm really happy with the model s and so when my lease is up, my current plan is to either buy it out or get another Model S. Uh, so <laughs> I'm really because I'm just that happy with it. Um, and so I'm not really looking around. If I were looking around, this car does not appeal to me. Um, neither does the the Porsche, whatever the Mission E is that? It? What's it called again? The Taycan, the whatever it is. Yeah, that's oh, a terrible know. name that's replacing yeah, the code. Yeah, that also doesn't appeal to me. Um, I, I don't like the way it looks. It's really expensive, and I'm just not kind of I'm not into like the Panamera style, and and so that doesn't appeal to me either. I I'm very very happy with the Model S. It's a fantastic car, even if they ruined it with the you know with the weird new like you know all all center panel thing like in the model three like was rumored a couple weeks ago i would probably still buy it anyway because i would I, st- I still would probably like it better than all my other choices it's a fantastic car and i intend to stick with it for the foreseeable future or at least for the next whatever the next car i get is i think what the ipace has going for it is that it is good looking for an suv because <laughs> uh, i really i really hate the the model x the way it looks and most suvs are not and you look at the ipace and you're like that's almost attractive for an suv but in no way is it mistaken for a car yeah by the way and i also think the model x is ugly i don't like the model x i like the model s i'm a sedan person and the model s is just a ridiculously awesome sedan 
Yeah, the X looks like a whale. It looks like a fail whale upside down. It's just like too <laughs> tall and fat. And like a, I, we, I walk by somebody's house when we go out walking the dog all the time. He's got a whatever P100D Model X, like the most expensive X you could buy. And it's like you spent all that money and you got this big fat whale. I'm sure it's fast, but it's like, ugh, <laughs> not like it. I, I mean, I don't like SUVs, so obviously I'm not the target audience for this type of car. But then I see the iPace, I'm like, see, an SUV doesn't have to be that ugly. Yep, I agree. Marco, have you seen any appreciable difference in range since you've had the car for, what is it, almost three years now? Yeah, it's gone down, um, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15% in that time. Something like that. Let's check the cycle count. <laughs> also people in the chat are pasting in the lucid air this was i saw a couple of links to this float by this past week uh it's not the first time i've heard of this but it's like one of the one of the original designers of the model s went to go start his own company and uh their their com- their car is the lucid air and it's kind of like a it's like an extra luxurious uh competitor to the model s and i this to me i mean it looks cool i guess but i'm not interested in it because it is a level of luxury that is, first of all, probably way more than I want to spend. And second of all, not compatible with five year old children. Right. Like if you look like at the back seat of it, it's like there is no middle seat. It's just like two giant like executive bucket seats. Like this is the competitor to like if you have a driver and you're an executive who sits <laughs> in the back like that's That's the kind of car this that's the kind of people this is for. And yeah, I'm I'm gonna put a car seat <laughs> in the back. <laughs> and so yeah, that's that's this is not not for me. Also, is this, is this vaporware? Like, is this this is a car and there's pictures, but this is not like imminently for sale, is it? Right, and that's, that's the thing too. Like with with all these like super brand new models that are being released, some of them from super brand new companies. I honestly am not that interested in being their beta testers. I, you know, I will, I'm not the beta tester for Tesla. Like by the time I bought the the, the Model S. It was like four years old or something and had gone through a bunch of revisions. And yeah, the first ones were actually kind of rough. And I'm glad I wasn't in there for the very first ones. I'm also, because I'm on a lease schedule, I can't wait for, for if a release is late. Like I'm, I, like, I'm not going to like reserve one and see when it comes in estimated 2019 or whatever. Like I can't do that. I, ha- I have to make a decision in April. So I'm not going to wait for any of these weird vaporware cars. And I, I, I have a feeling by the time my next car is up for lease renewal in like in three and a half years. There's probably going to be a lot more options then that are actually in the market that can actually be reviewed and I can go test drive and things like that. But until then, again, I'm in no rush to leave because Tesla does a really, really good job. I'm very, very happy with it. I did. I, I don't know if this is, uh, I guess it's becoming neutral anyway. Um, <laughs> the So the Tiff and I were talking like, you know, what do we replace her car with? Because her lease is up about uh, nine months after mine or so. And so the question became, you know, do we maybe go down to one car? Uh, similar, similar oh, reasons as you, Casey, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that's that's one option being considered. Or do we maybe reduce her car to some kind of like small, short range electric car, or at least shorter range, <laughs> smaller, shorter range? Um, and I looked around at what was out there, and you know, I've read a few you know roundups and reviews and stuff, and there's not that many good choices. There's a whole bunch of mediocre choices there's a whole bunch of like you know choices that are kind of in the middle and not a lot of really good ones uh that are that are meaningfully smaller or less expensive than like a model three would be how are you defining good though because 
I have heard universal praise, and universal is too strong a word. I've heard a lot of praise about the Chevy Bolt, for example, the Nissan Leaf. Now, they're not nearly as fancy or or nice as, as what you're used to, both in terms of her BMW and the Model S, but I've heard mm-hmm. very good things. Additionally, I've heard very good about the e-Golf. I would love to test an e-Golf just to see. So, funny you mention that. Um, so, so, actually... Uh, my conclusion was after after doing about a day's worth of research on this because I was procrastinating doing UI search controller, uh, <laughs> which is an infinite number of things I've done instead of trying to wrangle the incredibly buggy, horrible UI search controller. Um, I, I, the conclusion I came to basically was the only models worth getting in that in that segment right now, if you want what I want, which is a back seat for a car seat occasionally. Um, a friend of mine has the Kia Soul EV, and it is surprisingly good. It's a great value. It has really good specs, really good like you know comfort options and stuff like that. Um, and you, it's just really not very expensive for what you're getting. That's that's a really good option. Uh, the Chevy Bolt does indeed win a lot of the review specs. Ultimately, I find the Bolt really ugly, and I don't love the idea of owning a Chevy. That maybe that's just me being you know harboring old prejudices but i just don't like chevy uh and also um but the and then the e-golf like so basically like the, the one on paper that you should probably get is the bolt uh the one that is by far the best value for the specs is the kia and the one that i would i, th- I think i would feel most comfortable with although i've never driven any of these is the e-golf like it it, it was the one that looked because it looks like a regular golf and you know i don't i'm not crazy about the golf but i think it's better it's better looking than the other ones were and uh it reviewed pretty well. It seemed like a good balance of size versus capacity versus cost. And uh, so, yeah, it, it actually, it, that would be very high on my list to go test drive if we ever, if we decided to go that direction for Tiscar. Given Tiff's current hunchback car, maybe she would like an I-Pace. <laughs> She's not opposed to hunchback cars. Oh, wow. man. Hey, does Subaru have a electric Alpac? It's basically <laughs> trading one for another. <laughs> oh, deep cut, deep cut. I think I might have mentioned this. I don't know if this ever made the show, but my dad has the, um, what is it called? The Prius Prime, I believe it the is. The Prius Super Ugly, I think it's Yes, uh, it is very, very yeah, ugly. Like, let's take a Prius and make it somehow even uglier, and not even by a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's bad. It's real yeah, bad. The, the Leafs started off ugly, and then the new Leafs are even uglier, like it somehow. Leaves, John, leaves. <laughs> anyway, he has Prius Prime, and... Uh, and he decided to put in a, what is it, 50-amp uh, outlet in his garage to charge it because the Prius Prime is a plug-in hybrid. And then he had most of the parts to do it in my house, and so he did it in my house. So my house is primed and ready to rock for an electric car and has not yet burned down uh, because of the electrical work that Dad did and has even charged underscores Tesla once or twice. So in theory, it should be good to go. But um, I don't know. I'm... I, 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 without question, the kind of car I should be buying without question is an electric car, but none of them really wait for it. Rev my engine. <laughs> like, wow. like, a, like a traditional car does. And so I think that time will come for sure. But even the e-golfs having never tried it, it doesn't strike me as though it would be exciting enough for me to be, to be like, no, no, no golf R or golf GTI, or I guess really just GTI. No, thank you. You know, gasoline-powered cars with standard transmissions. I would like to run on electricity, please. 
I just don't see that happening yet. I think that time will come, but I don't think it's yet. Well, I mean, look, you've reviewed all the other golfs. You might as well, get, <laughs> as well review that one, too. <laughs> Why not? And I will say that, that the conclusion I've come to is I still don't particularly love the look of hatchbacks, but the golf is unreal value for money. And as you said, Marco, I forget how you phrased it, but you're exactly right. Like, it gives you a tremendous amount of space and not that big a package. And it is stunning how good a job the Volkswagen designers did at, at using all of the available space so that the back seat doesn't feel tiny. The trunk with the seats up is smaller than I'd like, but the back seats feel great. You know, there's the, they're not squished if you're, you're not squished if you're back there. The front, the front of the cabin is spacious. Like the, the Golf is a really great platform. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Molecule, Handy, and Linode. And we will talk to you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin. Cause it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental. John didn't do any research. Marco and Casey wouldn't let him. Cause it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm. And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S. So that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T, Marco Arment, S-I-R-A-C, U-S-A, Syracuse, it's accidental. So uh, I'm sorry to say, guys, that we don't have time for John's Bees update. So uh, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Just kidding. John, tell me about your yellow stripey things. What's going on? John? Oh, no, they got him. All right. Well, moving on. No, I was <laughs> muted. I was muted. So bee update. Bee and scare quotes, as always. Because um, they weren't actually bees, right? <laughs> yeah. Consensus on Twitter about what they are, because I took, tried to take a blurry picture of a couple of dead ones. Is that they are yellow jackets, uh, no barbs on the stinger, uh, so gotta watch out. I have still been doing battle with them in shorts and a t-shirt. No stings so far. The closest they've come to uh, to winning some kind of victory is in one of my uh, uh, what would you call it? One of my brave retreats from from the swarming animals <laughs> involving involved me on a ladder as always because they're up out of reach and me departing that ladder very quickly and that ladder <laughs> uh going out from underneath my feet sideways you know as you push off on the ladder you expect i'm going to leap from this ladder and run away but instead of the ladder staying with all of its feet on the ground the ladder decides to tip over sideways and so that could have been very bad because i have you know hard stone underneath the thing that i'm doing but i landed on my feet and i was fine i may have pulled something because i'm old i can't tell anyway <laughs> no stings no injuries but uh i mentioned in the last show that I was like oh i feel like i'm gonna i gonna deal with these guys because i can see their entrance and exit and it is small and i will deal with it and that will be that and as it turns out there are many many entrances and exits in this particular area so i deal with one which takes a while right with all the masking and the filling and the unmasking and then the trimming you're like ah problem solved and then 
come back the next day and suddenly you see bees flying there. You're like, where the hell are you going? Good thing bees are stupid because they don't hide. The f- <laughs> they show me where the next entrance and exit is. So it's like, I just f- see where the bees are going now. Ah, you're going in there. So mask, fill, unmask, trim, you know. And so I feel like how many ways in and out can there be? Like now I've got them all. Now it's all sealed up. It's all beautiful. There's no bees, right? Everybody's, I keep calling them bees, but you know, yellow jackets, whatever. I'm just going to call them bees from now. Um, so everything's fine, right? And yet now I think they're, either the bees are mostly defeated or they're trolling me because <laughs> the current place, first of all, they're not all gone. And the current place where I see them going, like, see if this makes sense to you. You know, like I have asphalt shingles, right? And there's asphalt shingles near where they are. And asphalt shingles are overlaps. You put one down and then you put the next one down, mostly overlapping the previous sheet and so on, right? And, and near the edge of the roof, the overlap between the two sheets that are on the edge, like the the the, 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 the first course you do near the edge, sometimes you overlap 100%, right? So there, there's a gap between the top layer and bottom layer of asphalt shingles, like they're they're pried apart a little bit. And now I see these stupid things going into the gap between the top and bottom layer of the most outermost asphalt shingles. And I'm thinking to myself, that can't lead anywhere. Like, yeah, sure, maybe the asphalt shingles are like pried apart a little bit, but it's going to very quickly taper. To, like they're not, it's not like a hole through there. Is there a hole at the bottom of the asphalt? Shingles? Like where are they even going? And here's the problem. The small group of bees that I see now go in there, and then I also see bee, bees come out. Again, not bees. <laughs> but since all bees look the same, I can't tell. Are these the same stupid bees that are going in there and going, well, no place to go. I guess I'll fly back out again. Or are they going in, and one of the thousands of other pals are coming out because there's a hole in the bottom of the thing, and they're going in and out. And now I'm faced with a quandary. Do I try to plug up and fill the gap between my asphalt shingles as if it leads somewhere i don't want to put any kind of filler there i could try to smush the shingles close to each other but they i've done that a couple times but a if i do that i'm going to crush a bunch of bees and anger a bunch of other ones and b i don't know how i would hold them together because they just they just spread back apart so it's a mystery i'm right now thinking that i have actually sealed up all the entrances and exits that i know about and then these are just stupid sad bees that are trapped outside that are being like maybe i can go into the shingle gap nope maybe i can go into the shingle gap nope you know i mean the same stupid ones going in and out that could be the case but i can tell you that there's still at least five six seven eight of them flying around there doing that so I'm waiting them out. Um, I've done I've done a lot of filling and a lot of masking. All those excursions have been successful. I've in fact uh, run out not run out of. This is the problem with that uh, that expanding foam insulation. They tell you that those things are reusable, but the lengths that oh, you yeah. have to go to to be able to successfully reuse one of those are ridiculous. And I I reused one can about <laughs> like five times, and now I'm pretty much at my limit because I think it's like dried up and clogged like inside of the can yeah it's basically thing, what happened. You know, like you're lucky you can reuse it at all like usually it's like those cans are basically single use yeah they should be single use but for my application since i'm using so little of it and since i don't know where the new entrances and exits are going to be i can't do that so i'm using my my years honed skills of making those things last through five or six uses which is not easy and you know it's kind of <laughs> annoying but anyway eventually i think they get clogged way down in the, the little thing that goes into the can and i don't know how to unclog that so i have a second can of stuff that's not as good so anyway i may need to resupply and regroup the weather actually got cold here a little bit a couple days ago and that has really tamped them down so in the end winter will solve this problem for me 
But for now, I'm going to say that the the battle wages on uh, more quietly than before. Uh, I think I'm winning. There are far fewer bees than there used to be. I still have not gotten stung or injured. uh, And I've sealed up a bunch of holes. But they're still there. And they're still doing something. So, you know, further (laughs) updates as events warrant. I'm curious. We we got a bunch of um, listener feedback and suggestions. Uh, I'm wondering if if maybe you followed any of them. My favorite one that was suggested was the guy who suggested uh, squirting a bit of gasoline into your house. Mm-hmm. That apparently yeah, the fumes that. kill them pretty quickly. And yeah, what could uh, possibly go wrong squirting gasoline into your house? Yeah, to this person's credit, he did say, but maybe that's not something you, maybe you don't want to squirt gasoline into your walls. You are correct, sir. I do not <laughs> want to squirt gasoline into my walls. That said, uh, it's not like uh, that I'm even sure that like the, the wasp killer stuff is any more or less flammable than gasoline. But I know for sure, gasoline, pretty flammable, pretty stinky. I'm not putting that in my house. So thanks for the suggestion, but I think I'll pass. Yeah, I've got some more dead ones. I've got quite a collection of dead ones going because sometimes they get stuck in the foam as it's curing and then they they get caught in the fumes of the foam and just fall to their death. And so I've got a lot of bee bodies hanging around. <laughs> that are actually yellow jackets, which are not even bees. I know. I just, it's easier to call them bees. I, but like, yeah, I, I mean, at least like yellow jackets, I feel like you lost the lottery. Like they're like, that's the worst kind to have because they're like the biggest jerks that are commonplace to form ha- hives and things. They're absolutely jerks. Like the time, the time I almost fell and killed myself was like, they just, <laughs> they, it was, it was like, it was like, you see, you know, the, just exactly as in your nightmares that you're trying to do something <laughs> to, the, to this, uh, this small area. And all of a sudden they flood forth in a giant, like you thought you were fine. You thought oh, they're God. mostly gone. You're carefully putting masking tape around and you're just like poke something the wrong way and like a hundred of them come out room and it's like you know out of there yeah that was close i I can't tell that's how i hurt myself because like my my shoulder and my neck hurt i didn't you know i didn't fall or anything i landed on my feet but maybe just like the shock of it and leaping off the ladder who knows i'm old (laughs) but you know no stings and you know no no uh sure injuries to to speak of so i think i'm doing pretty well and i like the fact that i haven't had to get up in a bee suit or anything yeah, I'm actually kind of impressed with the amount that you've done that you haven't gotten any stings and the fact that you're yellow jackets. And me too. Amen. Like I I was, you know, after I realized that I had to, to seal up like five different places, I'm like, now you're just pressing your luck. Like you get away with it <laughs> once, but now like how many times are you going to go up there with these things buzzing around and you carefully like, I don't know, maybe I've become, maybe I've become one with the, one of the tribe, but uh, I doubt it. And also I think the cooler weather is helping. I think, I think they are less active in cool weather. Well, it's not it's not freezing though like the, it's i don't think it's cool enough for them to you know well, it gets into, it's to the 70s after the weather we've been having it's like 70 degrees you know <laughs> open the windows better pack up for winter yep 